0: So guys, this morning, it is my privilege and my pleasure to introduce to you someone who um, you may not know from face, but you might have experienced him because he lives in the booth most of the time. And uh, um, guys, this is Abel Mendez. And Abel, yeah. So Abel and I met 23 years ago. Probably about and uh, we were babies, and uh, <laughs> um, you still look like a baby though. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but we met um, when I first moved back from Africa, and, uh, and I was looking for some men to walk with, to um, get encouraged, to get in the word together, to hold each other accountable, and we would meet weekly every Friday morning. Um, we would meet at a Starbucks in Oceanside, and we'd pray for each other, we'd encourage each other, and we stood with each other. And uh, recently, um, through God's sovereign plan, um, we got to bring Abel on staff here at the church. Oh. And this is just a dream to have him here.
1: Absolutely. He,
0: he is a man who deeply, deeply um, loves his family. He loves the, the Bride of Christ, the church, um, but most importantly, he has such a deep love for Jesus. Mm. And so this morning, he's going to be bringing the word. And uh, would you just give it up for Abel Mendez?
1: Right. Love you, man. <clears throat> well, I must say, uh, you guys have some really beautiful faces, okay? You have really beautiful backs of heads. Uh, so it's really a blessing today to see the front side of those beautiful heads, you know? Um yeah, I was telling Willie this morning. Uh, this is like the dream I never knew that I had. Uh, serving with Willie and even Joan Stevenson, we did youth ministry uh, twenty years ago. So we were doing surf contests called Grama Rama back in the old days, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's like a homecoming in some sense of just like hanging out with Willie and. Joan and I've worked with uh, Nick Gilmore for gosh probably eight years of doing ministry in our community and uh, I met Ryan about five years ago when we we're both doing young adult ministry and uh, you know we've we've hung out a lot over the last couple of years and so we're super blessed. Um, I must just say thank you um, to the staff that has been such uh, a welcome and thank you to you guys that have been such a welcome to us and our family being here when people ask what is it like it's like balm it's like healing balm on our souls and we want to just thank you and we want to thank the lord because uh he's sovereign he's in control and he's working things out beyond all that we can imagine so just know that and my hope and my prayer this morning is that you are encouraged by his word so if you can stand if you can't then feel free to stay seated but if you can stand please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. We're looking at uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 27 through 42, in case you have your Bibles, and then the words will be behind me on the screen. Verse 27, Jesus. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away, went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Arise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Father, we hold in our hands your living act of word, which has a capacity to speak to our hearts and to our minds in ways that even these lips that are speaking now cannot. Lord, I want to invite your Holy Spirit to do the work that you see fit in order to rise up your people, and Lord, to bring sheep that are wandering back into the fold. Lord, we know that it's your conviction, we know that it's it's your spirit, and so we just invite you to be our guest of honor as we minister your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. All right, well, we have a really uh, heavy... Scripture in our hands. This is Jesus, and he's going into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has just had the Passover with his disciples. And he has even told uh, Judas to go do what Judas was about to do. And we know from what Jesus had said previously that one of them were going to betray him. He was speaking of Judas. So the remaining 11 that are walking with Jesus don't really have a clue of what's happening. But Jesus does have a clue. So Jesus is now leaving the upper room, and he is taking his night journey under the full moon to walk to this garden called Gethsemane. And I have a map here to kind of give you guys a little picture of what's going on. Now, as far as the upper room is concerned, we don't really know where the upper room was. There is a traditional spot Uh, connected to a Byzantine church which dates back to the 4th century that is in this general vicinity but in 70 AD Rome had leveled Jerusalem so what is existing today is is we don't know because it's based on 4th century and even 14th century structures and buildings but what we do know is that this is where the temple was and we do know that Jesus had quite a bit of ways to walk this line would represent approximately a mile give or take maybe a little bit more Um, And I think that that's a reasonable uh, estimate because in the book of John, chapter 13 through 17, if you want to take time this week to read it, that is the entire dialogue that Jesus speaks to his disciples on this walk. And he teaches them a lot of incredible things. So make sure you get a chance to do that. So Jesus is walking past the temple out the beautiful gate and he's going to this area of Mount Olives called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is Mark giving Peter's account, and this is Mark speaking of Jesus, who is the suffering servant. All of the gospel accounts give a unique view of Jesus. Matthew speaks of Jesus, who is the king. Uh, Luke speaks of Jesus, who is fully man. Uh, John speaks of Jesus, who is God. And Mark speaks of Jesus, who is the suffering servant. So I titled today's sermon, See Through Suffering. And there's three points that we're going to go through as we look at this text. The first point is this, that Jesus sees all. The second thing we're going to look at is that Jesus sees the cross. But the most important thing at the end what we're going to look at is that Jesus sees through the cross. And these are the main points for today's study. Jesus willingly suffered in order to make us whole. Jesus relates to us in our suffering And Jesus is using all things for a greater purpose. So let's look at point number one, Jesus sees all. Look with me at verse 27. He says, you will all fall away. Jesus told them this, for it is written, and he's quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. I, speaking of the Lord, will strike the shepherd who is Jesus, he himself said of himself, in John 10, I am the good shepherd of the sheep, and when he is struck, the sheep will be scattered. But I love 28 because he says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now obviously we see Peter, the sincere Peter, the stubborn, who interjects, and he says, yeah, right. Even if all fall away, I will not. To which Jesus responds, Truly, I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows, twice you yourself will disown me three times. And Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all said the same. First thing I want to talk about here is that Jesus sees all. Jesus sees all things that's about to happen. He's already, in verse 19 of the same chapter, said that one of you is going to betray me. Obviously, he was speaking of Judas. Now, Bible scholars, what did what did Jesus? What did Judas? I'm sorry. What did Judas sell out Jesus for? What was it? Thirty pieces of silver. So, what does that tell us about his motivation? What do you think? Money, greed, right? Ambition, desire. So, so the betrayal of of Jesus by Judas was motivated by greed. Okay, now Peter, who would deny Jesus three times, why would Peter deny Jesus? What was his motivation? Fear, right? You know, people are like, I think you were with Jesus. He's like, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Little girl's like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure you were with Jesus. No, no, I don't even know the guy, you know? So he was motivated by fear. But how about all of them? Jesus says right here in verse 27, you will all fall away. This is an interesting word, as you guys can see here. The word is skandalezo. It means to be stumbled, to trip, to fall, to be offended, enticed, to sin, to distrust, to desert, the one who ought to be trusted and obeyed, to be displeased, and even to be indignant, to be frustrated. So Jesus is telling them, you will all go through these emotions Jesus foresaw this. And you have to understand, these guys left everything to follow Jesus. They left careers. Peter, James, and John, they left their father's fishing business. Simon the Zealot was a lobbyist or something. I mean, he, Matthew was a tax collector. I mean, these guys left so much to follow Jesus. And in the process of following Jesus, they're like seeing his teachings, they're seeing his miracles, they're seeing all that he's doing. And the Spirit even reveals to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was to save the nation of Israel from the rule of the Romans. So these guys were getting excited, they were convinced, they were fighting about who was going to be on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus, You know, they're bickering and fighting. I'm going to be on the right. I'm going to be on the left. I'm going to be, where are we going to be? Where's our place is going to be with this Messiah. And now Jesus is saying, no, you guys will all be scandalized. You will all be stumbled. You will all fall. You will all get distraught, discouraged, distressed, depressed, disillusioned. Why? They had left everything. And then they would soon see their rabbi crucified on a cross. Can you imagine what the emotions would be going through their minds when that happened? They had put all their eggs in this basket. They were like, this is it. And in an honor-shame culture, I mean, in Western, in Western mind, we go like, follow your dreams. Your dad was a shoemaker? Don't be a shoemaker. Be a TikTok influencer, you know? <laughs> we follow our dreams. We're individuals. You know, that's the Western view. That's the Western mind. Not in the honor-shame culture. You did what your family did. That was like your heirloom. That was your thing that you did. And to give that up was like to give up literally everything. And so here Jesus is saying, you guys, I see you. You're all going to fall. You're all going to stumble. You're all going to get distraught. You're all going to get discouraged. You're all going to get depressed. You're all going to go through all these human emotions. But, and I love that but, verse 28, but after I have risen... I will go ahead of you. I'm going to see you through. I'm going to meet you on the other side of that. Now, I don't know where you are right now in your walk with the Lord. I don't know if you are even walking with the Lord. I don't know if you're in a place of distraught, discouragement, depression, distress, disillusionment. And you're saying, God, why am I in this place? I put my life in your hands and now look where I'm at. Things aren't going the way that I thought they were going to go. Things aren't panning out like they were supposed to pan out. Everything I had in my mind is being unraveled. Why, Lord? Why am I in this place? Why am I in this state of being? I don't get it. The Lord will see you through. Maybe you've left the faith of your mother. Maybe you've left the faith of your father. Maybe you've never put faith in God. Well, there's something that North Coast Calvary Chapel is going to be intentional about weekly, is giving opportunity for the prodigals to come home. For those that are distressed, those who are discouraged, those who are dismayed, those who are disillusioned, whatever, those who have never had a faith, to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, that through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, we can be healed and made whole. And that we can have a taste of his grace and his mercy that is new each and every day. And so I don't know where you're at right now, but God does. The Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at, exactly what you're thinking. Maybe you're just listening to this thing with complete cynicism. Can I just ask you to pause, to stop, and maybe say, God, what do you want from me? I want to just do that briefly right now. I want everybody, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes to the Lord. Father, all I know is that you're on the throne and you're in control. And Lord, I know that there are times in life where things just don't seem to pan out the way we thought they would pan out. And yet you, in your grace and in your mercy, meet us where we're at. And so Lord, I want to pray for anybody right now that's struggling, that's wrestling. I want to pray for anybody right now that is in that place of distress or dismay or discouragement or frustration I want to ask, Lord, that they would receive a new touch of your grace and your love and your compassion on their lives right now. And for anybody else that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, Lord, I pray that even right now they'd say, okay, Lord, here I am. Touch my life, touch my heart. So with your eyes closed, if that's you and you just want an extra dose of prayer right now to receive Christ, to rededicate your life, to just receive his strength, I'm going to ask you right now, just raise your hand. Raise your hand to the Lord. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hands. I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand, sir. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Father, I wanna thank you so much. I see those hands. Lord, thank you so much for the move of your spirit in this room, and I wanna pray just an extra anointing of grace and mercy, Lord, that they would sense your love and your presence and that they would be encouraged And Lord, they'd be strengthened, and that even after the service, they will be bold to take a stand and to come forward and to receive prayer. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercies that are new each day. Thank you that, Lord, you meet us through whatever we endure, whatever we face. You always meet us through. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Jesus sees all, guys. Jesus sees you, and he's there for you. So, Jesus sees all. So, now let's get into the garden scene a little bit deeper. Jesus now sees the cross. So, we see here in verse 32, it says, They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus says to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. So, interesting, this word Gethsemane literally means the oil press. So, Jesus is going into this garden. Uh, Some commentators say that it possibly is owned by John Mark's mom. Um, Wealthy person, obviously, would have this lamb. And the reason is is because oil, or olive oil, is like the liquid gold of the Mediterranean world. It's used for everything, for food, for cooking, and then when it gets old, you can use it to light your lamps. But there's this process that happens in in the making of the olive oil, and so I'm gonna call up the next slide here. What I have here is an artist's rendition of what an olive press area would look like. Now, obviously, off, you know, here you would have uh, olive trees. That's where they get the olives from. They shake them or they, they pull them down. They gather them. And the first thing that they do is they wash them. They take the olives, they wash them, make sure they're really clean. So there's a four step process they cleanse them. After they're cleansed, they then put them onto a stone, a crushing stone. Now this is one artist rendition of a type of crushing stone that you can see, uh, the archeology span has uncovered. There's another one, I'm gonna go to the next slide right here, this is another one that you will see if you go to the Israel trip, they have these stones and so you put the olives right in here and then somebody walks holding onto that pole and as the stone goes round and round and round, it crushes the olives so that they become like this mush. So then after they take these, this mush, going back to the next slide, they take the mush and then they put it into these baskets. And these baskets are made of animal hair material and such. And so what they do is they, they put all the mush in there and when they're done doing that, they then stack it and they have a, a, a stone at the base, a stone at top, And then they have this crossbeam, and what they do is they begin to add weight to this crossbeam. And as this crossbeam is coming down, it's taking that which was crushed, and it's now pressing it. And it's pressing it against this stone. And the next slide is a picture of the stone. It's pressing onto here, and then all the oil and water is now going down here into a vat. And then there's a process of extraction. Now, as you can see, the picture behind me is a picture of what the olive oil looks like when it comes out of that pressing and that crushing. Looks like blood, doesn't it? What a powerful picture. Because this garden right here is a picture. It's a picture of what Jesus himself is enduring. But it's also a picture of we ourselves, what we endure when you go through various trials. Because what comes out of that is this oil and water, and the oil is then extracted. That liquid gold is pulled out. And so Jesus is enduring this pressing and this crushing. Look with me in verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Why did he take Peter, James, and John I don't know, but I have a guess, right? This is conjecture here. Don't forget that Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was at the Mount of Transfiguration that it's like Jesus' skin became transparent. It's the only way I can imagine it. And the glory of God was seen. And it was so powerful that Peter was like, whoa, let's build three tabernacles. This is epic. They're seeing God in flesh. They're like, the divinity, the fullness of God in this man. And now Jesus is inviting him to the garden where he's being crushed. And he's not heroic. Jesus is not like stoic and and courageous and let me show you how a real man suffers. No, he's broken, he's humble, he's contrite. And he prays this prayer. Verse 34, it says, "'My soul is overwhelmed.'" With, this, with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed, if possible, this hour might pass from him. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So there's two things we can glean from the prayer of Jesus. Number one, it's an example. This prayer parallels the prayer of Uh, the Lord's Prayer. In it we see Jesus, who is intimate with the Father, much like a toddler to its daddy, Abba. When I think of the word Abba, I think of my tata, because my mom would always call my tata Abba. Abba, Abba, Abba. I always thought as a little kid, that's weird, you know? (laughs) I call my dad, Dad. Like, what is Abba, you know? But it's this term of endearment. It's this daddy. And Jesus is just relating to the Father, saying, Abba, Abba, Father, hear me. When we come to the Lord, we're coming to our Father. How much we love our own children, how much more does a Father love us? He comes with that intimacy, and then he comes with that confidence. Look, everything is possible. Everything is possible for you. And then he is honest. Take this cup. Take this cup. What is this cup? This cup is separation from the Father. Jesus had been in community with the Father and the Spirit for eternity prior to this. And he is in complete unity and community forever after this time. But in this time and in this moment, he's starting to feel the effects of being separated from the Father. All that he's always enjoyed, all that he's always loved, is now being cut. Why is it being cut? So that he could build a relationship and invite us in to his community. That's the whole reason why Jesus is going through Gethsemane. That's the whole reason Jesus is going to die on the cross at Golgotha. And that is all the reason why he is rising from the grave in the garden. He is going through all of this for you and for me. And that's the second thing that we see in this prayer. We see the love of Jesus for his father, and we see the love of Jesus for us. He loves us that much that he saw people that were separated. He saw disciples that were sleeping on him. And he's like, I love them so much that I'm willing to be crucified. I'm willing to be cut off so that they can be embraced, so that they can be brought back in, so that they could join our love relationship that we have had for eternity. Everything, the love of God. That's why God is love. Have you ever thought about this? God is love because God is community. If God was just by himself, like, I love me and I love me, I love me, you know? It's like, okay. But if there's this triunity of the Father and the Spirit and the Son and they love each other, then you see God is love. And He's created us to be in his love. He created Adam and Eve for that purpose of being invited into his community of love, but that was lost. When the first Adam, God said, obey me to the tree and you'll live. And what did Adam do? He disobeyed. But Jesus, the second Adam, God says, obey me to the tree and you'll die. Jesus was like, okay, I'm willing. Because of the great love that he has for us. That is the great love of God, the the love of the cross. That is the great love. And so we can't lose sight that Jesus loved us and was willing to bear this cup. Isaiah chapter 53, verses four through five, it says Surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. My favorite author is Timothy Keller, and I wanted to share a quick quote with you from him. It says, There's only one God whose wounds can speak to our wounds. So Jesus sees the cross. But more importantly, Jesus sees through the cross. And that's where we move to this final section. In verse 37, it says, He returns to the disciples, and He finds them sleeping. And He calls out Simon by name, which interestingly means hearing. Like, hey, hearing, are you hearing me? <laughs> he says, Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Now, Peter was the sincere. Peter was the stubborn. I'm going to stick with you to the end. But Jesus so lovingly says, Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Peter, you mean well, but man, are you weak and you need strength. Where is that strength found? Jesus reminds him it's found on your knees in prayer. And that's literally what Jesus is doing here in the garden. He's on his knees. He's in prayer. And there's something that's happening in Jesus, and I think we see a little bit of a clue of it towards the end of the text here. Jesus on his knees is being strengthened for the cross which is ahead of him. So it says in verse 39, once more again he went and he prayed the same thing, and when he came back he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. And I I just love the emphasis of Mark here. He's saying, he's he's reporting what Peter is recollecting. Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, in the place where this garden was, it had a good view of the temple. It had a good view of the walls. And so the gate that he had left, it is likely that that whole band of, you know, led by Judas were with torches, and he could actually see them coming along the wall and making their way along the path to where he was. What was it that happened in Jesus in this moment? I think Matthew gives us a good little clue. Janahi in one of our devotions brought out this point recently, and I was reminded as I was studying Matthew gives an interesting account of the prayer of Jesus because Jesus went to Gethsemane seeing the cross and yet he came out of the garden seeing through the cross. Look with me on the board behind me, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says, O oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If it is possible, let this cup pass. Per Shammai which means to be gone. So Jesus is essentially praying, God, if it is possible, I ask that this cup would be done away with. Now, God's answer, though it's not necessarily explicitly recorded, I believe is no. That's not possible. His cup, which is on all the evil of all the world, is necessary. He's a just God. So Jesus doesn't go back to like change God's mind, but he shifts his prayer, changes, and he says, "Oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. If it cannot pass away, apa amoy. If it can't be separated from me, then so be it." What do we do in life when we are praying for something and there's no answer? Or what if we're praying for something? And the answer is no. Why would that be? Maybe God has something better. Maybe God has something grander. Maybe God has something that's just beyond your capacity to ever imagine. Honestly, as I said earlier, sharing the stage with Willie is a dream I never even knew that I had. And yet here we were this morning going like, can you believe this? And I'm sitting back there with Joan Stevenson. I'm like, can we believe this? It's like there are 60 years of like, yeah, a ministry right here of which we've shared and overlapped. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. I would have never have guessed this. I would have never have. It's, it was like so far out of my, maybe God is doing something else. And so what, what do we do? We say, okay, Lord, if you have something else and this is your purpose for me, then like, let's go. Let's bring it on. And so Jesus now leaves, he, he comes in looking at this cross, he comes in looking at this trial that's before him, and now it's like that cross is becoming transparent. And he's, he's able to see through this cross. I believe that the author of Hebrews makes this exact point in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which says, For the joy that was set before him, the joy of heaven set before Jesus. That joy, because of it, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is now seeing through the cross, and he's seeing what it is to accomplish. Now, he wasn't done yet. He still was going to be forsaken by the Father, but he has a a different anointing, if you will. You remember back in the Gethsemane, the The olives go through crushing and then pressing. And then all that oil is extracted. That oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of anointing. It's like Jesus has this new anointing on his life, this new courage to go forward and to do what God had put him on earth to do. And I believe that there's an application for that for us. Another author that I love reading is C.S. Lewis, and in his book, uh, I believe, uh, I don't remember the name of it anymore, Marked with Suffering. I don't remember what it was anymore, but this is an interesting quote that I've kept on my mind and kept in my files. It says, God loves us, so he makes us the gift of suffering. Through suffering, we release our hold on the toys of this world and know our true good lies in another world. We're like blocks of stone, out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men. The blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. The suffering in this world is not the failure of God's love for us, it is that love in action. Love that. Something interesting about uh, how Paul and Peter describe us, the church. You'll see it in in the letters, that we are described as living stones. And uh as a stone, we're being built up into the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you got that picture in mind, temple, stones. And it all speaks of the temple that was made in, in you know that Solomon had made or that Herod had rebuilt. You have these stones that are quarried off-site. When Solomon built the temple, he had all the stones quarried off-site. They were hit with a hammer, with a chisel. They were sculpted and they were made to shape and to fit. And so when they brought them to Jerusalem, all of the temple was put together and yet not the sound of a hammer or a chisel was in Jerusalem. They all fit together perfectly. And it all serves as a picture. We are the living stones of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is using our trials, our difficulties, our struggles to shape us. Guess what? He's even using each other. You know that Christian guy that you just can't stand? And you guys are like, uh, uh, uh. It's God working his blows in order to perfect us, to shape us, so that when we get to heaven, like, we fit perfectly. We are the body of Christ. Living stones. And it's painful, and it's hard, and it's difficult, but God is doing something beautiful. At the beginning, I had reminded you guys that there are some main points that we're going to talk about this morning, and it's this that Jesus was willingly, he willingly suffered in order to make us whole. He relates to us in our suffering, and God is using all things for a greater purpose. I just wanted to share just a little bit of my story with you guys this morning, as I did with first. You know, my family and I, through the last probably six years, have really just had to endure just a lot of different pains and struggles. And Six years ago, my mom um, she took her life and she lost her battle with depression, and it was very difficult. She was, uh, and she is with the Lord. I know. She was the woman that raised us in the way we should go, and she always sang her cheesy songs to us in the morning and the whole thing. Right? She just she was she discipled us, um, and uh, when when we lost her, uh, it was difficult. And I remember just. Leaving that, that night, leaving uh, just the house and walking and looking under the stars, and I remember as I looked up to the skies, I looked at the stars, the first words that came to my mouth, the words I could utter in that dark moment, was why. And in that question why, the Lord allowed in my imagination for me to have just a picture, a mental picture of Jesus Christ on a cross. Crucified in pain, in agony. And he's looking up to the Father, and guess what he's asking him? Why? Why have you forsaken me? And man, I'm going to tell you guys, in that moment, as hard, as difficult, as the many years of healing, in that moment, I knew I have a God who relates in suffering. No matter what it is that we're enduring, no matter what it is that we're going through, we have a God who sees We have a God who sees the cross. We have a God who sees through the cross. I don't know of any other faith on this planet that could give that kind of consolation. But in that moment, I saw the texture and the color of the cross. Now, I had been a preacher for a number of years, and I was always very pointed on my sermon, wanted to make sure every point was right every scripture was right. Make sure I paint that gospel correctly. Life, death, resurrection, preaching to junior high, preaching to high school, preaching to young adults. I want to make sure I got it right. But man, I'll tell you, after myself having that moment, I saw the gospel with color. I saw it with texture. I saw a God who really gets it. And that's something I want to hopefully encourage you today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what prayers that you're praying that are just seeming to go unanswered. But let me tell you, there's a God who sees, and he knows, and he's endured, and he's been through the suffering. We're looking at it right now. We're going to continue to look at it over the course of the next couple weeks, and then we're going to see the glorious resurrection. But we have a God who knows. Who knows? We have a God who cares. We have a God who loves. And we have a God that is using all things for a greater purpose. My lead pastor for a number of years would always say this thing, and he was a feeble little man, let me tell you. He had got aplastic anemia surgery when he was a kid and stunted his growth and He got hepatitis through the blood transfusions and so he had to get a new liver and he was on his way to getting a new kidney and just like this little guy. He was like this big. And man when he stepped to that pulpit it was like whoa. The grace of God just outpouring through this little man. And he would always say this, don't waste your suffering. Listen there's two types of people here right now. There's two types of people here. There's there's the first people that have been brought through crazy trial. Crazy sickness miracle stories, God's grace, man, you're like amen. And then there's other people who are like oh lord I hope please. There's people that are here to like pour out and there's people that are here to receive and look at we all need one another. God, we we all Ground is level at the foot of the cross. I know the preachers are often elevated. Listen, you yourself are elevated also at this same level. All, all ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. So God is building our stories so that we might encourage one another, that we might comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received. There's an anointing that God gives to us in our suffering. And we can speak into other people's lives in a way that nobody else can. And God is just working this beautiful story. And that's our prayer. That's our hope for the community of North Coast Calvary Chapel that we would just be that community of Jesus lovers, Jesus followers, and Jesus just communicators to one another, encouraging each other to fight the good fight to stay the course, to keep the faith, to keep running, and, and and not just look at your trial, not look at your difficulty, not look at your struggles, but by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, to have the capacity to look through it for the joy of what is ahead. I'm gonna call the worship team to come on out. This crushing produces an anointing. It was last night, probably about one thirty in the morning, and uh, I don't know why, I just woke up, and it's like, what does that mean, crushing produces anointing? And three words came to mind, and it was grace, compassion, and empathy. Grace, compassion, and empathy. You know, Paul himself had a thorn in his side. You could read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had this thorn in his side, and he pleaded with the Lord, if it is possible, take this thorn away. Three times he begged the Lord, please take this thorn away. And you know what the Lord's response was? My grace is sufficient in weakness. God had a a ministry for Paul and hindsight 2020, we're still benefactors in what God was accomplishing through Paul. And God has a unique ministry for every single one of us. We all have a unique story, a unique place, a unique testimony. We have all tasted, hopefully, of the grace of God. Maybe for some of you guys, it's brand new. You raised your hand to receive the Lord earlier, but we have a taste of grace. That this world that's suffering needs, we are the vessels of the living God. And often, you don't know what's inside of a vessel unless it's crushed, unless it's broken. This could have coffee in it, it might have water in it. it, might have some tea. How would you know? Through its crushing. We, like vessels, are containers of the Holy Spirit, but often the world doesn't see it. But when those vessels are crushed or broken, it's His Spirit that flows. And that's what this world needs. It's a messed up, broken world, right? I mean, even people in the world know the world's not the way it should be. But God has shown us the way. And so I want to invite you now in this time of worship just to to give God praise, to be reflective, maybe to confess if you've been just complaining, like, oh, why do I have to just confess it? He loves you. He's meeting you through it. He's there for you. But let us just minister our hearts to the Lord now. And regardless of what we're enduring, let us just worship him and praise him because he's worthy.
0: Y'all, let's stand together. so make me a vessel and make me an offering make me whatever you want me to be i came here with nothing but all
1: Yes, Lord, would you bring new wine? Lord, we receive the anointing. Though it's hard, though it's a struggle, God, we receive it. So, Lord, fill us with newness this day, newness of your spirit, so that we can receive comfort and comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for the people who gave their faith to the Lord today. You guys know who you are. We want to invite you to come up. We want to give you a gift. We don't want it just to be a moment, but we want to walk with you in this journey. And anybody else that was touched by the Spirit and you know you need prayer, please come forth. And uh, other than that, God bless you guys. May his face shine upon you and may he be
0: gracious to you. God bless you guys. Have a great week.